Mecham Auctions, the world's largest collector car auction company, returns to Indy with Dana Mecham's 37th Original Spring Classic, May 10th through the 18th at the Indiana State Fairground. 3,000 muscle cars, Corvettes, exotics, and more. Broadcast on Motor Trend TV and streaming live on Max. From avid collectors to those new to the Mecham experience, we welcome everyone. Register to bid now at Mecham.com. Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline, too. Remember, bailing at 5.30. We've got Pacer Hoops, Pacers Blazers tonight. We've got Colts Roundtable. So we've got a hustle here with Stephen Holder of ESPN and ESPN.com who covers the Colts. Once again, on the Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline, you know what? Uh, There is nothing very picturesque about it. But giving us, giving the Colts fans a great deal of interest this time of year as we head into December, it's not something I would have anticipated. And certainly without Anthony Richardson under center, it doesn't matter, though. You live and you play in the moment, and we'll see because their schedule is conducive. Um, if they don't make mistakes, games they they should be able to win, and they're making this final month of the regular season very interesting for Colts fans. That's a good thing. It is a good thing, and I think this is a, another reminder, not that we need it, but there, it's another reminder that this is why they play the games. Uh, the the AFC, we, we were wrong about a few things. Okay, so I'm still okay on my over-under on the Colts. I thought the over-under on wins was around seven. Yeah, I said so six. We'll, well, I said <laughs> six. Right, so yeah. whatever. Yeah. <laughs> I think I'll be proven wrong. Um, but we were also wrong about the AFC. You know, our predictions there, and this is dangerous business, predicting the NFL season. Okay, everyone knows that, but we do it anyway. And and our predictions for the AFC at large were that there were going to be these three or four really elite teams and that if you weren't in that group, you had no shot. And instead, what we have found, and this actually makes sense in retrospect, is that everybody's beaten everybody. And what you have left is, you know, a couple of teams that are, well, one really elite team, I, I would say, in, in Kansas City, and then a couple of teams that we think are good. But then, look, Baltimore, one of their losses is to these guys, the Colts, right? And then you still have that issue with Miami. Like, they still really haven't beaten many quality teams. You know, so take that for whatever it means. You could say that about the Colts, too. But we're not claiming the Colts are elite either, you know? So it's interesting, you know? Listen, as I said, predicting – Predicting the NFL season is really risky business, and that has been proven again to be true. If you would have told me that there would be the seventh seed in the AFC as we enter the month of December, I would have told you before the start of the season that you were a bit crazy. And that's exactly where they sit right now. So I'm the one, evidently, that's crazy. So great. Look, you, you gotta you got to handle your business, and I think that's what it's about. You know, like their schedule is soft, okay? I, we don't need to make bones about it or make any bones yeah. about it. Their, their schedule is soft. They haven't beaten elite teams. That, that's true. Those things are true. Um, and they, they probably wouldn't be favored in, in any playoff game against any opponent. Okay? That's also true. You know, an eventual playoff game if they get there. But that has nothing to do with anything. I mean, we're, we're judging the Colts for, for what they are. And what they are is a, a team that's in the process of retooling and trying to get back to somewhere – and and that 
process was not supposed to end this year. This was supposed to be the beginning of that process. So this is all gravy, man. It's all gravy. But I, I would say all the credit in the world to Shane Steichen. He deserves it. Uh, he has done a great job. Uh, this team plays with confidence. And I just sent in a story that will run the next couple of days about something that's already been addressed. But just he, he coaches and he plays to win. Okay, that's what he's about. And, and I'm not saying other coaches didn't, but, but it's, we're talking about Shane right now. And, and I think that, that fourth down yesterday was a great example of that. They're not even like one of the best teams in the NFL on fourth down. Okay, let me be clear about that. I think they're 14th in the NFL in fourth down conversions. So that's not even top 10. They're, they're not even close. But what it is, or what they have done is when the situation has called for it, they have said, we're going to go all out and we're going to do what it takes and we're going to play to win. And sometimes that has backfired. I would go back to the, the Cleveland game, for example, you know, I don't like throwing the ball out of your own end zone with Miles Garrett over there with two backups trying to block him. This is a bad idea. But in a strange way, it shows the aggressiveness and, and the mentality, which is we're going for the jugular. And sometimes they may get your jugular. <laughs> but I, I like the mentality, even if I wouldn't have made that call. You know what I mean? Yeah, so, well, I think sometimes he outsmarts himself. And, and I think, I think you does. saw him do that in the second quarter yesterday because you yeah. saw that miscommunication between Downs and Menchu, and then mm-hmm. from that point on until the half, throwing the football was an absolute adventure for Gardner Menchu. He was completely scrambled, and I thought you know, running the football would probably be the play right here, but uh, I, I th- thought yeah. those were one of those moments where we see Shane Steichen outfoxing himself. Look, I, I have come to the, to the realization – this is my opinion, at least, that Shane has a little bit of cowboy in him. And and what I mean is exactly what you just outlined, which is, all right, look, I know what we should do, but I can't help myself. <laughs> you know what I mean? And, and I remember when he got hired, and we talked about in the earliest days of his, his tenure here, I remember talking to him about there was something to do with with, a, with offensive balance or something was the topic. And you remember in his opening press conference, he said, we're going to throw, we're going to throw the score and run to win, which I interpreted to mean, look, we're throwing the ball and then we're going to ice it with the run. <laughs> and so now that hasn't turned out to be the case. They're actually pretty balanced. They, they have been pretty balanced this year, but that has also been by necessity not, I think, by design. I don't think in his heart of hearts that's the way he drew it up. But, you know, but you're right. You're right. He is He's a guy who sometimes can't help himself. But, again, I, I think it's, it's not a good thing necessarily that you, that you maybe are too aggressive in some moments. But, overall, I think you'd rather more aggressive than, than not aggressive enough. Yeah. Well – yeah, I, I just I, I think everything situational. Yeah, yeah. Everything situational. Like like yesterday, yeah. Yesterday was a little bit more, and I say egregious, and it's not that bad. But mm-hmm. uh, that's the only word I can come up with because I have a very small dictionary in my head of words. Um, you host a three hour radio show. Yeah, I, I I end up saying the same crap over and over again. Is what I do. Um, not. I, I thought you've got a, your only game breaker is twenty eight. Yeah. Don't lose sight of that. 
I think that's Listen, all I'm, that I'm I say. You. Let me let me yeah. be clear. I don't disagree. Right. Okay. I don't disagree. I was saying it in the press box, and and frankly, what you're afraid of in those situations that Gardner's going to throw one to the other team. You know, when you get a little bit too pass happy. And so that was my concern at that particular moment. And it ended up working out. It was fine. But but I don't disagree. I, I do think there are times with somebody, maybe Jim Bob Cooter needs to, you know, save shame from himself. <laughs> I do think that's true. Uh, I mean, look, Frank Reich used to do that too sometimes. As much as he was about, you know, run the damn ball, he would get in these moments at times. I think every, my point is a lot of coaches do it. You know, I think – you know, you get into this rhythm of calling plays, and 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 they came into this game, the the Colts. They came into this game knowing that the Tampa Bay defense was pretty good against the run. You know, that, you got Vita Vea and that defensive front. So you know, he had all his fancy pass plays on that call sheet on Sunday, and Shane Sykin was like, "Oh, I got him. I, I got all this good stuff for him, and he wanted to get to it." <laughs> That's what I think this. That happens in these scenarios. You know what I mean? And so, you know, that's when the cowboy in him kind of comes out. Yeah, and and if you win, that's good. It was just that moment yesterday. Mm-hmm. That was only like the only questionable moment I had was, was that. Yeah. Even that fourth down call, I know it's really easy to grasp when it works and works smashingly like that did, but really it was just the second quarter. And, and seeing Menchu where you can tell when it – it looks like certainly he should not be throwing the football. And those were some moments where they were risking. They were really taking chances. And a couple of times where the Buccaneers flat defensively didn't take advantage of what I thought Steichen was giving them during those moments. No, you're right. And and that was my big takeaway with Tampa Bay. It was like, there are some moments here where I mean, the Colts had a lot of missed opportunities over the course of, of those four quarters. And the Bucks did nothing with them. <laughs> so that's on them, man. That is totally on them. I could not agree more. But that's also the sign of a, a, a team that maybe has, has some room to grow over the course of the season. You know, I mean, every team's going to give you opportunities, just about. And th- the question is, what are you going to do with them? Certainly, the Bucks gave, gave the Colts some opportunities, and the opposite was also true. Uh, it was the Colts that made more of those opportunities. So the the key down the stretch is going to be stop giving the opponent so many opportunities, though, for the Colts. <laughs> yeah, make no mistake about that. Stephen Holder joins us from ESPN, ESPN.com. He's on the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. I want to get a little focus on Nashville coming up on Sunday in a minute. I thought, to me, the video and the fact that Shaquille Leonard was at that game and was shown – on the big screen after the video was freaking awesome. I've got some people saying, why'd you think it was awesome? Blah, blah, blah. And I I suggest this. Um, I would have been uh, too big of a wuss to show up like that. There was no way I would have shown up to a situation like that. I would have been wussified, stayed at home like a lot of people would have. But I thought it was cool for him to get that one last kind of, you know, embrace and then, you know, showing how he felt about the fans here one final time like that. And I thought it was cool the to present that opportunity to him in the fashion in which they did. A hundred percent agree. I mean, think about it. This guy for four seasons was as good as any Colts player we've ever seen. I don't think that's an exaggeration. I mean, what, what more do you want? He was a four time 
you know, four straight seasons, all pro. I mean, we've never seen a debut like that, you know? And, and that's, that's how I think we want to remember him. And, and I think that gave him the opportunity to, as Zaire Franklin mentioned to me, it, it, he got the send off he deserved. And I thought that was really appropriate and, and just really cool to see. I'm with you. I, I'm very happy it happened. And, you know, for all of, you know, for all of, of Shaquille Leonard's, you know, uh, complaining to media over the years about, you know, you guys are all against us. And, you know, we would have these run-ins sometimes. And it's not a big deal. I'm, I'm not complaining. I'm saying it was kind of – it would sometimes get exhausting or whatever, right? And, and this is inside baseball, you know, sausage making and all that. But I say that to say, despite all of that, I never took offense to it because – the next day, you, he was fine with you, and you, you come to realize he's just a competitor. And that's all it was with him. And so the same thing about his recent complaining about play, playing time, it's why the organization didn't perceive it the way some on the outside perceived it. Because that's what made him great. What made him great is, I think I'm better than everybody. I'm the, I'm the best. And you can't tell me I can't do something. That's what made Shaquille Leonard great. I know not everybody understands that. I get it. But, but I'm telling you, I, I spent enough years around this guy and seen him in action, and I know how this organization feels about him. They weren't trying to make a, an example out of him. They weren't sending a message to the locker room. None of that. None of it is true. This was just a really, really painful decision that had to be made because he wasn't going to play, and, and not playing would have crushed him and he, he probably would have been not able to handle it very well. And I think Shaq knows that in his heart of hearts. I really do. And last thing I'll say, I, I heard this today, which is kind of cool. I don't think anybody will get mad at me for sharing this. This is what he means to the organization. Uh, many people were able to, many, many people with the organization were able to see him yesterday. And that includes Chris Ballard's family, his kids, went in there and had an emotional moment with Shaquille Leonard in that suite. I mean, it doesn't get any closer to home than that. So if you think, you know, Chris Ballard made this decision lightly, that tells you everything you need to know. Um, I don't know if I've ever seen anything like that. No. With a player yeah. being cut and then being there. Especially a, a cut of that magnitude, especially, yeah. Uh, 25 years of doing this, I can't think of a, a comparable situation it was stunning uh, in a good way. Stunning, you know, and I, I think it's a unique situation, which is why you had a, a unique circumstance in that particular moment, because, you know, here's a guy who, you know, was, he, he left it all out there. He, he loved the Colts. The Colts loved him. He just couldn't do it anymore at the level they needed from him. And, and that's just, that just limits your options on what you can do. And so, I don't know. I, I think it says it probably says more about Shaq than the organization. I don't think they did anything wrong per se. I'm not. I'm not suggesting that. I'm just saying, as you as you pointed out earlier, you know, like not not having the the guts to show up. You know, if it were you, I think it says a lot about. Oh yeah, Shaq, there's you know? no way. If this place it ever really did that does. to me, I wouldn't show up with anything they did. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> there's no doubt. And I'll, I'll say, yeah. I'll, I'll add this in yeah. closing. You know, I went to his turkey giveaway last week, like a lot of us in local right. media. And and I, I tell you, I walked away from that feeling like, you know what? He felt 
there was almost a, a sense of relief in talking to him. I couldn't believe just how normal he was. You know, he, he talked about it, the whole thing, matter-of-factly. He had this one moment, you know, where he said, you know, I wish I could have been there for my guys to the end. And, and I could tell that, he, that there was pain. And that, that was hard to see. You know, I, I like Shaq a lot. But, but overall, my big takeaway was, man, you know, like, it's like he almost understands. It's, it's almost like he's understanding about it. You know what I mean? Even though it hurt. So a very weird all around situation. And I get why people don't get it, but that's because it's a really unique situation. Stephen Holder, who is with us, who's um, sweet. Was he in just a cold sweet? I I thought it was his actually. I I think Hmm. it might've been his. That's my, that's what I kind of understand, but I, but I, I'm not a hundred percent on that. Now, do you think he gets signed? this week to play someplace else. And here's the other thing. This is longer term. Would the Colts put him in the ring of honor? That is a great question. Well, the the second question is a great question. Let's go to the first one. Will he get signed? I, uh, I mean, he's in Dallas today. I, I think there's a chance. I do think there's a chance that they, they bring him in. It would be a very Cowboys kind of move, you know, a, a big name player, who, uh, you know, could kind of help them down the stretch. Uh, he's, he would fit, I think, the, the culture of the Cowboys, you know, big personalities, all of that. So it actually, it actually could work. You know, the question would be how much can he offer them on the field? And that's a question that they have to answer. And I don't know, but I could see it working. I, well, let me rephrase that. I could see it happening. Whether it pans out, I don't know. But, but I could see it happening. I could see the Cowboys doing this. Uh, look, financially, it costs you nothing. The Colts yeah. are paying the freight here. So there's really no impediment other than you just think, okay, this guy is not good enough to help us. And now, so now, the, the, the Ring of Honor. That's a great question. I actually think there's good enough reason to do it. I mean, again, I mean, he, had, he was defensive rookie of the year. He was, as someone in the organization told me, in their opinion, for four years, he was a top five defensive player in their estimation. And I would have a hard time arguing with that. You know, you could, we can quibble about who gets ranked where and all that. Okay, fine. But, I mean, that's not, a, that's not an irrational statement that he was a top five defensive player's first four seasons. I don't know. I, I just think the impact that he had on this organization, the – the, the way he single-handedly closed out games in some instances, I got no problem with Shaquille Leonard being in the hall in the, the ring of honor. I, I actually think it's appropriate. Had he done that for 10 years, you put him in the hall of fame and you don't even ask questions, right? So why shouldn't he be in the ring of honor? Well, we'll see. I mean, yeah, I, I, I kind of wondered that myself. Yeah. It, um, yeah. <laughs> I get the question. I get the question. Yeah. Yeah. And I thought I would ask somebody else had asked me that. I thought I would ask you. And that's certainly a question that's probably more set 
for a team that's you know not where they are right now in the offseason. But I had you here, and I thought, I'm going to go ahead and present it to you and see see what you think. Stephen Holder joins us. 23-16, the first time out at home for the Colts over the Titans. Round two coming up on Sunday. Very winnable schedule, as we mentioned a little bit earlier, too. Uh, certainly, what's this Titans team bring to the table compared to the first time the Colts saw them earlier this season? Well, you know, one one thing that, that we have to confront is that they will not have uh, Grover Stewart for this game, and that doesn't help. You know, certainly you got to deal with, with Derrick Henry. I mean, just looking at his numbers, he hasn't had a big game in a while. Um, but, you know, he's going to have an impact on the game. There's no doubt about that, particularly with the rookie quarterback. And so it, the Colts have been – I think a little too soft against the run lately. I I've been concerned about it for a while. I think it was true. It's been true in their last three games. I mean, even, even against Tampa Bay yesterday, you know, there were, there were a handful of runs where you were like, okay, is this going to be a problem? And so I think that's going to be my question. You know, can they just limit the damage there? Make Levis have to beat you. Just make him have to beat you because you know, that's, that's tough. I mean, the longer rookies play, the harder it gets, I think, you know, you get more film on them. And, and as you can see, I mean, the, I didn't see what he did yesterday, but just in recent weeks for Will Levis, it's gotten a little tougher, you know, as he's played more. And I think that's, that's typical for, for young players or backup players or whatever, you know, as they, you can kind of bring them in, throw out some wrinkles and you have the upper hand, you know, when you, when you're playing that guy at quarterback, but the longer they play, the less those things determine the outcome. And I think you're seeing that now with Will Levis. I mean, you know, they got a close win yesterday against Carolina, but we know that situation all too well. Oh yeah. And, yeah, so, well, whatever. <laughs> no, Frank's going to get some. I'm not feeling sorry for Frank, though. Frank's getting some money out of it. So, hey, listen, listen yeah. I, I do – there's two guys who, you know, there's two situations that have, that have kind of hit me hard just because I think the, you know, I, I know what it meant to them and I yeah. think they're good people and all that. And it's Shaq and it's, it's what's happened with Frank the last couple of years. But that being said, um, Frank's great grandkids should never have to work <laughs> the way their things have gone here the last couple of years. And then I don't think anybody's ever been fired mid season in back to back years like that yeah. either. So hey, that's a bad situation up there, buddy. It, yeah, you got. To, it we talked about better. meddlesome owners can be as problematic yeah. as a bad quarterback. And you know, as yeah. much as we like Jim Irsay, you know, he was meddling big time a year ago. We saw how that went. Stephen, I appreciate you more than you know. Okay, take care, man. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Friend of the show on the Andy Moore Automotive Group online from Yahoo Sports got a brand new fresh pod that is out with his Yahoo friends. Dan Wetzel is with us. Hello, Dan. How are you today? How are things in the state of... Yes. Yeah, well, people around here, it's weird, right? Because the the future is Anthony Richardson. You're not able to see the future, but there's not a damn thing wrong with living in the moment. You know what I mean, Dan? (laughs) There's like something special about the unexpected NFL success, right? And and no expectations. Like, 
just make the playoffs. That's just awesome, right? Yeah. Anything's found money. You're probably not winning it, but that's all right. That's all right. So, yeah, it should be Dan, if you look in history, too, like whatever you were a fan of, you know, in the state of Michigan, the moments of which that your team wasn't given a chance or written off or any of that, and then they, they did something with that particular season, probably go down in your history as the most memorable or some of the most memorable. Yeah, I mean, I'm not really a fan of any of the teams in Michigan, I, but um, I uh, – yeah, I think any fan base, it's that surprise season or when, when young players all get together, particularly in basketball, all of a sudden you can see, like, oh, they kind of start gelling. But, yeah, the unexpected success. Because, I mean, look, Colts fans, they know what it was like when with Manning and, and some of those years, and it's like you're reeling off victories, but it's like uh, there's still the Patriots out there. Or can we get – you know, it, it, like the pressure is so great and you're just waiting for the end instead of enjoying that week-to-week success of surprise victory. So I I totally get it, man. It should be fun. Dan, you get like Anthony Richardson, the sequel, a do-over, if you will, next year to see. And, and again, the one thing I've also said, Dan, is I, I don't want to have to talk about whether or not Anthony Richardson is going to be durable. I don't want to talk about it as much in the offseason, which we will, I sure as hell don't want to talk about it when the season is going on. So this is saving me from that particular theme, which is also nice, selfishly. So, Yeah, I'm not a big believer in what one person is more durable than the other. Injuries just happen. Uh, it's just, I don't know, some guys maybe are better at avoiding it, but um, uh, I, you know, I remember early in Matthew Stafford's career, talk about Detroit team, yep. Detroit with the Detroit Lions, he got injured a bunch and then he didn't. And he, I think he played 12 straight years of missing, never missing a game. And then he finally got hurt at, at the Rams, but like, you just don't know. It's all, it's all it. So I think Anthony, will uh, he'll probably be fine. It's a Dan Wetzel of yahoosports.com. We'll talk about the podcast coming up. You guys got a brand new one out. You patting the gang in just a second, but you coming down here this weekend from Michigan, Iowa. I am not, um, but I'm super intrigued by the, especially if Michigan wins the trophy presentation. That's I think <laughs> going to be more dramatic. Um, I'm, I'm going to assume Michigan's going to win because if they can score six points, they're probably going to win. I mean, we just don't see a lot out of Iowa. Smoke and mirrors. Congratulations to Kirk Ferentz for getting this team there. Um, maybe he deserves the scoring because he nepotismed his son into the OC job and. Um, killed their offense but this is a team in a that in, in nine big 10 conference football games scored 11 offensive touchdowns yeah and somehow won the west went seven and two i mean they're you know they're 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 10 and two um amazing job on all that but to me the real excitement presuming the game goes as it is would be jim harbaugh back from suspension up on one of those little podiums collecting the big 10 championship trophy from tony Petiti who personally suspended him for three games. Uh, and at one point, the two were locked in litigation that uh, never materialized. <laughs> uh, so that ought to be interesting. I'm sure the Michigan fans won't uh, be voicing their opinion of the Big Ten office uh, at all. And God knows, you know, you get on the field after games, you've been down there, like yeah. championships, like there's assistant coaches, there's wives, there's boosters, there's regents, there's all sorts of people. So um, that is going to be maybe the most interesting scene is that, uh, unless Iowa can somehow pull off a, a miracle here. 
Uh, to Dan Wetzel of Yahoo Sports with us. I, I kind of want to start right here, and I know this is not a, a nationwide hot button at all, but you're obviously in the Midwest and around Big Ten country here. What do you think is going to be the fit moving forward at IU? Now, we understand that we have not been able to find much of a long-term fit basically forever around here, but what is there something out there, somebody out there that you think is within reason that seems like a really good fit for Scott Dolson the athletic director to make a play as the next head coach in Bloomington with IU's football program. I mean, there's a there, yeah, there's absolutely that person. It's who you know. Do you find him? I, I'll tell you a guy I'm intrigued by is like Brian Hartline, who's uh, tearing it up as a recruiter over at Ohio State, and like younger guy could maybe bring a lot of energy. I think you got when you're when you're Indiana, you're going to live and die in the portal. Um, and you're going to have to be able to convince guys to stay or come or go, put together fit. Um, I think the days of like trying to find that guy who's like going to build a solid program and develop players over three, four years, that just isn't how college football is working anymore. You got to create some excitement. You got to create some buzz. You got to figure out how to get uh, kids interested in coming there and being fun and all that. It, it's, it's just a different, the game has shifted a great deal because of the portal and because of, uh, NIL money, and you just got to kind of live with it. Um, and so I, I think that's why someone maybe, uh, you know, particularly at a place like Indiana doesn't have tradition, that's okay. You can create energy and you can create, you know, uh, a, a use of the resources you have to uh, to build a roster quickly, and, and you're going to have to build and rebuild every year. It's not about just getting that, that steady guy who will build a good program and you win five games, then you win six games, then you win seven – I'm not sure that's how it's going to work anymore. So Dan Wetzel, who joins us, and to a part of uh, the the parting statement from outgoing Tom Allen was he had prayed that IU now really gets into, accepts, and embraces NIL uh, in football with that program for the future because that clearly is where everybody is right now, which I think, and rightly so, probably discouraged some IU fans thinking that maybe they should have been on top of that prior to um, where they are right now, I guess. So it seems like that there is going to be a lot of work to be done by whomever is the next head coach here. Yeah, I mean, look, one of the – it was baffling a few years ago how many schools tried to reject out of, like, principle or something. I don't know, that they, that they didn't – you know, this NIL situation, I don't like it. Uh, that's not how we want to do things. Like, this is – like, I, I just I – just, it was so weird and, and it's unfathomable and really a lot of programs, the leadership of those programs – did a complete disservice to the program and the fans by embracing that it's if there's a new way if there's a new salary cap wrinkle or something in the nfl and you just sit there and go i don't like that uh i like the old way we did things like (laughs) wait what we don't care what are the rules what are the rules what can you do get good players and um for some reason college sports it's just so stuck in the mud and people really have a a moral opposition um, to to compensating players that they sat there and watched these rules and just said, yeah, I don't want to participate in that. That's not how we want to do things. And there's a lot of programs that did it. And, uh, you know, it's not just Indiana. It's a lot of them. They just didn't like it. And it's like, well, this is the, this is the new – this is the world. Like, industries change. 
and uh, you either embrace it or you don't. And I'm now seeing all these coaches trying to embrace it, going, we need money. We need to spend money on this, and we need to do this. And, yeah, that's that's how it's going to work. These kids have value, and someone's going to pay them. And uh, tough break. I, you know, I don't know what to tell you. The Supreme Court went 9-0 one way. Uh, it's not going back. It's just you either accept accept it and try to win in that system, or you sit there and say we're just never going to win. But uh, I would I would be all over uh, NIL. There's nothing that can stop. If anything, a, a program like Indiana, it's it can be an advantage because you can never, not never, but it would take a great great deal of time for you to match Ohio State or Michigan in tradition and in stadium size and facilities and all of those things, right? You just can't be Michigan or Ohio State. But you can raise the money to compete with them. There's a lot of wealthy people at, at Indiana that could, could, could raise that money. You can, you, you can target your money on specific recruits and maybe beat those schools every once in a while. Like There's so much opportunity if you're aggressive with this that's actually good for non-traditional programs. When everything's just about – have you been, were you good 50 years ago? Yeah, Indiana doesn't stand a chance. Now it's about what can you do for me tomorrow? Well, Indiana should be able to do as much as anybody else tomorrow. Dan Wetzel of YahooSports.com, a little college football conversation regarding IU's gig and other stuff. He's on the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. We've talked about this before. Uh, the likelihood that there's a ceiling for NIL um, and and this being an outlet as we get into the future further down the road. But I also was curious about this. Are we going to see a time, uh, and I don't know when that's going to be. I don't know. Maybe it has been in some certain places. I just haven't seen it yet. But a devaluing of the head coach and how much money he makes and more of a focus on making sure you give you know the most talented players as much as they can to get there because that's something that you're kind of talking about, I think, right now in terms of IU. I mean, is it going to, to always matter who's coaching you in, in the era of NIL compared to how much you can give to the player to come play at your school? Well, it's going to be really interesting. Um, like Jim Harbaugh was talking about this yesterday, saying I'd take less money to, if the players can get more. Um, obviously, you need a quality coach because you have to coach the team and you have to attract the players. You can't draft these players. There, there is, there's still recruiting. There's still charisma and all that. But just pouring money in and hoping a coach works and not putting into the roster. And, again, I know these are foreign ideas, but this is reality. Nobody blinks and thinks, hey, this is crazy. Andy Reid doesn't make as much money as Patrick Mahomes. You go, well, of course he doesn't. <laughs> there's only one Patrick Mahomes. We get another coach. Andy Reid's a Hall of Fame coach. But – He's not worth $50 million a year or whatever they're paying Patrick Mahomes. Mahomes is worth even more than that. So at what point do you sit there? You know, I see Indiana, you know, $15.5 million to not coach. Yeah. And you sit there and go, geez, what if they said to, you know, what if they said to Allen, hey, we'll pay you $2 million, but we're going to take the $13 million. And I mean, obviously it's his money, so I don't think he'd do it. But we're going to take $13 million and put it into the team. Um, you can – like if you were a startup business, right, if you're a business and you're trying to attract talent and you're going against a Fortune 500 company and you're a smaller business, how do you beat the Fortune 500 company with the big, tall skyscraper and the, the, the package of, of benefits and all the different things that say, oh, I work for this Fortune 500 company. You say, I want you to work for, for my company. How do you do it? You have to pay them a little more. 
You have to offer opportunity. You have to do different things. And that's how you got to approach talent acquisition at this point. And, again, like, if Indiana has probably not beaten Ohio State for recruit, uh, you know, rarely, right? Very rarely that if both, both Indiana and Ohio State want to recruit, that recruit's going to go to Ohio State for the last 30 years. But what if Indiana says, look, you're our priority guy. You can be the 23rd best player in the Ohio State recruiting class. You can be the number one player here. Let's spend some money on you. If you look at the University of Missouri, they have been extremely aggressive on NIL. And they have signed a number of, of five-star players. They have a kid, uh, um, their wide receiver is one of the best in the country. They are targeting the guys in their state, putting more money into them than the Alabamas and Georgias, and they're keeping them, and they're getting good players. They're getting some great players, and they're building with the great, good ones. They're 10-2. and two. There's nothing about the University of Missouri that says they should be this good. They've never been really this good in the past. They don't have a ton of tradition or anything like that, but they're being very smart under these rules. And that's why I think, much as there's a lament or this idea that we can never do this, I don't agree with that. Indiana has many, many fans, many alums, many a lot of money around. You only need some really wealthy ones that want to go in on it. Um, you can target your recruits, and you can start picking off not, not the, you're not going to beat Ohio State for every recruit, but maybe you beat them for a couple. Maybe you beat Michigan for one. Maybe you beat Ohio State for one. Maybe you beat Notre Dame for one. Hey, that's better than you were doing in the past. You slowly can build up. It, there's ways to do this. And NIL, if you're willing to go in on it, is and not just the amount of money, but how you do it, is a, is a, can level the playing field a little bit. So Dan Wetzel of YahooSports.com, the latest podcast with he and his friends, College Football Inquirer, at Dan Wetzel on the social media platform X, formerly known as Twitter, to find that instantaneously. It is a fantastic listen. Make no mistake about it. What do you think the uh, playoff is going to look like after this weekend when it's said and done? Well, it's a wild one. This is the first one uh, we've had where nobody is safe. Nobody can lose and be guaranteed a spot. If you go back one year ago, Georgia, Michigan, and TCU all could have lost and still made the playoff. TCU actually did lose in the conference championship game. Lost Kansas State, the Big 12 championship, and still made the playoff. And the only one that was on the, on the brink was USC. USC lost. Ohio State jumped in. Um, some years, there's, there's no teams that are going to get replaced. This one, there are eight teams with a shot, seven with a with a legitimate one. Ohio State's kind of got to run a, uh, they got to run like a, a straight flush on the, you know, at the end here. But they could still conceivably get in. But so there's seven, really seven to eight teams that can get in. But there's also seven and eight that that could not. Like if Georgia loses to Alabama, I don't know that they're in. Not if the way certain things go. If Michigan loses, they're not necessarily in. There's so much competition this weekend. It is the best final weekend we've had in the 10 years of this 14 playoff. And uh, this weekend should be crazy because everyone's going to be jostling around. So, you know, I expect Georgia to win. I expect Michigan to win. Um, you know, but I, I don't know. We're gonna, Oregon and Washington, Oregon's a nine-point favorite over Washington, which who already beat Oregon. That's going to be fascinating on Friday night. What do you do with an un, a potentially undefeated FSU team that no one thinks is that good because they lost their, their star quarterback? But how do you leave a 13 13 and 0 team out potentially. What if the SEC knocks themselves all the way out? 
What do you do with Texas? Texas beat Alabama. There is this thing could be a this could work itself out, or it could be a headache of all headaches for this committee. They might actually earn their money. So crazy weekend. I don't know if anyone could tell you who's going to get in. Who's going to win the Heisman when it's said and done? That's a good question too. I mean, we have Bo Nix, yeah, and we have Michael Penix. One of those two, if they have an absolute monster game on Friday night with everybody watching has the opportunity to win that Heisman. But you also have Jaden Daniels down at LSU, who I thought preseason would win the Heisman. Um, has been spectacular, and his numbers are Joe, almost Joe Burrow-esque. Tremendous player. Not his fault that the defense isn't that good. So I think it's one of those three guys. But the Friday night game between Oregon and Washington could determine it if one of them you know, has you know, 400 yards and four touchdowns or something like that. It's uh, Dan Wetzel here. And, again, they discuss on Yahoo Sports and their latest podcast the uh, coaching carousel, which is ongoing right now. And obviously getting set for the conference championship games, too. You know, you mentioned Brian Hartline over at uh, OSU. Uh, The most often mentioned around here is Justin Fry with uh, uh, Ohio State, the old line coach, and has uh, obvious ties to IU in the past here. Yeah, it'd be good too. I mean, there's a lot of guys. I would just want what is our, what's our plan, right? It's just the the the, the business has changed, and that's what happens in industry. So it's like, it's not. I remember Indiana. I can't remember which coach it was. Indiana had a coach once that went made a priority of going to every high school in Indiana. He went to every high school in Indiana to try to like meet the coach. Um, I can't remember which coach it was. It was maybe 15, 20 years ago. And, um, like, that was how you had to build a program. Like, we're just going to meet, we're going to try to get some good Indiana kids and build up slowly and all that. Now it's like, ah, you got you got to be way more aggressive. Was, that, was, that, was it uh, the late Terry Hepner that did that when he was hired? It might have been. Yeah. It might have been. You got to look it up. It was. Yeah. I remember it being a really cool story because there was some, like, school, you know, like, what's your last, what's your smallest grouping? Like Class A? Or yeah, like Class that, A, whatever. exactly, yeah. And then he came in, and some coach was like, I couldn't believe it. Like, we haven't had a player out of here in 50 years. Like, what are you doing here? We don't have recruits. But <laughs> but that's how you had yeah. to do it back then. And, like, there's certain things you go, okay, if we could get a guy like that, right? Right. If we could get, you know, and, and we could build up slowly, like a Mark D'Antonio at Michigan State, he just grinds it and grinds it, and then they're you're on top, right? Um, but now it's it's you can build quick. You can make moves quick, but you got to have the the right mentality to do that, and how to do the resources, and how to set yourself up as something. Um, there's real there's real opportunity. It isn't easy, but it's never been easy. I mean, right? History of Indiana football tell you it's never been easy, but there's real opportunity. It's just what's that guy? And so I think it's a very different coaching search in this era than you would have had, um, you know, in the last the whatever the one prior to this. I had ample bourbon ready for you this weekend if you were going to make it down here. So, oh well, wait a minute. I may maybe better re- change of plans here. Re- yeah, hold on. <laughs> yeah, I might be rescheduling. <laughs> if you do, if you do, text me and let me know because uh, I got ample bourbon. I I I will test your reserves if I'm getting down. Well, there, so uh, we'll, believe me, we'll, I, we'll, I have we'll, plenty. <laughs> I do have. I have. I have plenty. <laughs> All right, we'll try to stay upright. You got it, buddy. If you get down here anytime <laughs> soon, let me know, and uh, we will connect when All you right. get down we'll, here. We'll do that for sure. Right. I'll talk to you later. All right, Dan. Appreciate it. 
Mecham Auctions, the world's largest collector car auction company, returns to Indy with Dana Mecham's 37th Original Spring Classic, May 10th through the 18th at the Indiana State Fairground. 3,000 muscle cars, Corvettes, exotics, and more. Broadcast on Motor Trend TV and streaming live on Max. From avid collectors to those new to the Mecham experience, we welcome everyone. Register to bid now at Mecham.com.